Let's turn then in God's Word to the book of Romans, the third chapter. Romans chapter 3. We'll be reading starting at verse 9 and reading through verse 26. Romans 3, 9 through verse 26. Let us then hear the breathed out word of God to us. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you will be with us as we study this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the work that you have done for us. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he explains this passage to us. That's this in your name alone. Amen. And amen. Debray and his congregation, in the formulating of the Belgic Confession, were not already in trouble with the first 21 articles that they wrote, they certainly were going to be in the crosshairs when it came to this subject of justification. Obviously, in the context in which it was written, they are dealing with a very powerful Catholic Church. Powerful not only in terms of governments, but powerful in terms of its influence over people's minds and people's lives. Powerful in its influence on the issue of salvation. 
Bray, along with the other believers of the Reformed faith there in the lowlands, are taking a stand, willing to die for this particular article as they were for each and every one of them. But here in particular, because this becomes now the very crux of the matter, what is the means by which we are saved? Is it by Christ alone or isn't it? Is something additional needed? Do I have to keep the sacraments of the church in order to be saved? Do I have to give allegiance to the Pope in order to be saved? Do I have to give assent to the teachings of the church in order be saved? Do I have to pledge allegiance to the Roman Catholic Church in order to be saved? For you see, that was what was going on. That unless those things were being done and accomplished, there was to be no salvation. And apart from what we may think about our world today and our society today, the Catholic Catechism continues to promote that same idea. And so just as much as it was necessary for Debray and those of the lowlands to stand and to say, this is our faith, this is what we believe, this is what God's Word teaches so it becomes necessary in our day and age because it has been multiplied many times over in the world in which we live in. Where we live with many cults, we live with many heresies, we live with many false religions. We, especially here in the United States, or perhaps I would say in the West, deal with this idea that we must all coexist, that everybody's really right, just depends on how sincere you are in your belief. Nothing could be further from the truth. Not only because it is stated in the Belgic Confession, but more clearly stated for us here in Romans chapter 3. So let's look at three things from this passage this morning before we approach the table. One, the need of justification. Secondly, the means of justification. And thirdly, the work of justification. The need, the means, and the work. I must preface this by saying, Paul is seeking here to explain that which has already taken place in the hearts and lives of the Roman believers. He is not addressing them here by saying, I don't think you're saved, therefore I need to teach you this. Paul is stating to them that which has already occurred so that they have an understanding of that which Christ has done so that they have an understanding of their position as the children of God. 
And I would offer that as well this morning. I am not bringing this first point because there is somehow some belief that pastors have or that I have that you are not saved. No, it is to show forth the reason why you needed a Savior. This is perhaps the way of say, stating it. This is our pre-born-again condition. This is our natural condition as we are created and born. But it is not at all me saying, this is your condition now. However, having said that, there may be those of you gathered with us this morning who are not born again, who have not been converted, who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to listen and to know the reason why justification is so necessary. Paul describes this need for us in verses 9 through 20. Why do I need to be justified? Why do I need to be set right with God? Because of sin. Paul is plain about that. Verse 9. I've charged both Jews and Greeks are under sin. And it's because we are sinners that we are in need of being justified. We are in need of being declared righteous. Because if we remain under the, the condemnation of our sin, the only way we shall ever be justified is never. We will be spending an eternity of hell for the sin that Paul mentions here in verse 9. Because we are under sin, we are under judgment, we are under condemnation, we are under God's wrath. And the penalty is an eternity in hell. Never paid off. Never. Because even in hell we'll continue to sin. And so the penalty is never paid. If we seek to do this by ourselves. That's why we need justification. That's why we need to be declared righteous. Because we are sinners. But this sin is not just a little tainting. It's not just a few spots. It's not just that, that we're basically good and pure and holy folks. We... We just have a few bad spots. We just got a few rough edges. And certainly as the world thinks about this, or the natural man, we might say, thinks about this, they look at themselves and say, you know, basically I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, once in a while I do this, and once in a while I do that. But at the end of my life, God's going to overlook all of those little spots, those little specks of my life, and I'm going to go to heaven. This is what happens when we read obituaries. And we read obituaries of folks who, who have no church affiliation, these folks sometimes known to us, 
have no confession of Christ, and yet it says so-and-so died on such-and-such a day, and they're now with the Lord. It's like, how did they get there? Well, in their mind, it's the fact that they're a basically good person with some sin. So they don't need to be justified. They justify themselves because they think of themselves as basically good folks. Paul here is saying to us in Romans chapter 3, look, we're not just tainted. We don't just have a few little problems to deal with. Paul's explanation in the rest of these verses is the understanding we are full of sin. We are not just few a white sheet of paper with some black spots. We are a black sheet of paper with no white spots. We are full of sin. Note Paul's use of the word worthless. No one does good. We are full of curses. And he tops it off there in verse 18 with, There is no fear of God before their eyes. We are full of sin. We can't justify ourselves because we are full of sin. Therefore, there is the need of our justification. I tell you nothing new, I would imagine, for the majority of you in this room. But it is a good reminder as we come to the table. It's a good reminder of the fact of, of that which we were. Of who we were before Christ. Of who we were before God did the work. Of justifying us. One of the things that we are reminded of as we come to the table is that we need to come not arrogant, not prideful, not I deserve to be here because I'm such a good person. No, we need to come humbly, recognizing the fact that we are indeed sinners. But Paul doesn't stop there. God's word doesn't stop there. Paul here goes on to describe for us then the means of justification. Beginning here at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But now, but now, this is that which comes from God. This is that which is, does not arise from ourselves. This is not that which comes from within us. This is that which is coming from the outside. Our justification does not arise from within ourselves. It's not us excusing away our sins. It's not us faithing out our sins. It's not us working out our sins. The righteousness, the justification that to be, to be declared justified is that which God does. Paul further explains that when you go down to verse 24. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Where, where does justification come from? God. 
God is the one who justifies. I am the one who has offended God. God is the offended party. Who is it that justifies? Do I justify myself before God by that which I do? No. God is the one who justifies me. As a work of grace. As an act of grace. Undeservedly. It's not that God looked down, Paul says, and saw that. Oh, Bob the man, and he had some, he had some faith. Well, I'll justify him. No. It's not God looking down and seeing Bob and Manon as being, oh yeah, he's basically a nice guy, got a lot of little black spots, but basically still the page is white. No. It's not God looking down at Bob and Manon and saying, well, you know, he's really trying, he's really putting forth an effort. I guess I'll justify. No. Justified by his grace. The means of our justification is grace. Secondly, it is the blood of Jesus. Verses 24 and 25. And are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So it's grace... Through Christ, through his blood, through his atoning work, through his death upon the cross, through his life of obedience, through the perfect righteousness of Christ. God is going to declare me and you as being justified not under the condemnation of our sin, not under the judgment of our sin, not under the penalty of our sin, not under his wrath because of our sins, because by his grace, he provides Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as we have looked at over the course of other Evenings, the one who be, was fully man, the one who is fully divine, the one who is our representative and yet can do so perfectly. It is by his death. It is by his life. That God's grace works through. See, God just can't look the other way to my sin. God just can't pretend it isn't there. God is holy. God is just. God has to deal with my sin. And he chooses to deal with my sin out of grace. Not out of compulsion. And certainly not because of me. Out of his grace. Undeserved merit. Undeserved love. He provides for us Jesus Christ to be that which pays the penalty. For our sin. It was my sin that held him there. We sing. Yes. He's dying on that cross. He is giving his blood sacrificially. As the Passover lamb of God. 
He is giving his body, giving his blood. So that I might be declared without guilt. Thirdly, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is also the means. See, it's the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, look at verse 25 again. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Well, isn't that faith me? Isn't this where I come into the picture? And the answer is no. I'm still not in the picture. Why? Because faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is that which the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. When Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Spirit. He is sending faith. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Keep your finger here at Romans. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace through faith. The work of the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. Turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Who is belief in the truth connected to? The Spirit. It is the Spirit who brings faith into our hearts. A faith which results in repentance. An acknowledgement of the fact that I'm a sinner. An acknowledgement of the fact that I'm not just a spotted sinner. But I am fully a sinner. An acknowledgement of the fact that I am counted as one of those who is no, not righteous, no, not one. I am one of those who was, there is no fear of God. I have to acknowledge that. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't come after repentance. Faith is repentance. To be able to truly acknowledge before the face of God. The fact that I am a sinner and I am wholly, fully, completely dependent upon him. But faith not only is repentance, it's also confession. It's confession of Christ. It's looking fully to Christ. It's looking only to Christ. It's looking to Christ alone. See, that's what Debray and those 
fellow believers there are stating in that article. It is Christ. It's Christ alone. That's my righteousness. That's what justifies. Nothing else. Nothing else. That's why the call of the Reformation became justified by faith. My faith? No, not my faith. The faith that God gives to me as a gift. That's what justifies me. The faith that the Holy Spirit implants within my heart. That's what justifies. It's not my faith. It's the faith that the Holy Spirit gives. That's why the belief you see of some of the fact that, well, you know, this whole thing of God's election and, you know, pre-knowledge, it's that God sees that we will become people of faith. How can I become a person of faith without God? It has to take the work of God. It can only be the work of God. I would never turn from my sin if it were not for the Spirit. I would never look to Christ if it were not for the Spirit. This isn't something that my mind reasons out. This isn't even something that my heart would desire. I'd run from all of this. But the Spirit, you see, gives faith. Not my faith. This is the faith of God. This is the righteousness of God. This is not just something God sends. This is something God does. This is something God is. Holy, fully, completely. That's why we come to the table. Because we are reminded, one, that we are sinners. Two, that it is only in Christ and that I come by faith. My faith? How strong is my faith? My faith is not strong today. Maybe I shouldn't take. It's not my faith. It's that which the Holy Spirit creates. See, faith is a work if we understand it as the work of the Holy Spirit. Not my work. It's the Spirit's work in me. This is the means of our justification. Thirdly, what is that result in? Maybe that would be a better title for the third point. The results of justification. What does this mean? When the Holy Spirit brings faith into my heart and into your heart. What's the result? When the Holy Spirit causes us to repent of our sin. And to turn fully to Jesus Christ and to Christ alone for our salvation. His blood, His righteousness alone as we sang a few minutes ago. What's the result? Well, let me at least highlight four for you this morning. One, it satisfies. 
satisfies the wrath of God. God's wrath is no longer against me. God's wrath is no longer against you. God is no longer your enemy. God is no longer your foe. That which your sin deserved has been set aside, laid fully and paid fully by Jesus Christ. God's anger against your sin. Secondly, it cleans, it washes, it removes, it purifies. It's not just that here I sit as this horrible, rotten sinner, but God's wrath is no longer against me as the horrible, rotten sinner I am. No, you see, God could not love in that way. God could not pardon in that way. The reason God's wrath has now been removed is you see, when God sees me, when God sees you, he sees that which is clean. He sees that which is holy. That's what Peter told in his gospel, in his message, in his letter, that they are a holy people. That's who we are. We're holy. What does it mean to be holy? Be without sin. That's the way God sees me. That's the way he sees you, as without sin. The blood of Christ has washed us, has purified us, has removed all sin from us. And it fills. The result of justification or the work of justification is not only God's anger and wrath are satisfied, not only that I am cleaned, but also it fills me with the righteousness of Christ. Because if God were to say, Bob, you're now clean, the next moment I'm a sinner again. If left on my own. But God, you see, does not leave me as an orphan. God fills us with the righteousness of Christ. So that we are not only covered God sees us as his children, holy, righteous in his sight. It amazes me, it astounds me that God could do such a thing. How? By grace. Fully by grace. This is the love of God on display for us. Why, if you go back and perhaps reread this afternoon that Article 22, you'll see how, how Debray is seeking to bring out that all the benefits of Christ become ours. All of them, all of them, all of them. Oh, what an amazing thing this is. What a glorious thing. Remember how we've been with Christ? United with Christ, in Him. Christ says, I will never leave you, forsake you. I am with you always. 
the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Can the Holy Spirit live in something that is not holy? Oh, I know, as we live life here, whoo, wow. That might be a different story, but not from God's perspective. And it will endure. That's the fourth thing. It'll last. This is not temporary. This is not between masses. Oh, now i got to do it again because of this. No, this justification of God is a one-time act. He doesn't do it again. He'll never repeat it. He doesn't need to repeat it. Why? Because it isn't you. It's Him. He has done the work of justifying you. But now, a righteousness of God, from God, for God, has come. And we come to the table to celebrate. To celebrate. Not to mourn, not to grieve, not to reminisce. We come to celebrate the fact that we have been justified freely by His grace through Christ's blood by faith. And God's people say, Father, we do thank you for your word, your living and active word that is sharper than a double-edged sword. Father, may your word today do that which you promised it would do. Correct, admonish, encourage, strengthen, comfort. May we see in this word the glorious truth of what you've done for us in Christ. In his name, God's people say, Amen.